For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. We'll turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Beginning in verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. You may be seated, and let's take a few moments to reflect on God's Word. Thank you, worship team. I mean, that was great singing. And a lot of times, uh, as wonderful as the sermons are, uh, what I remember is a line from a song. You know, it's what sticks in my head. And thank you for letting us um, get that, that truth down in our soul. We're starting here in Second Timothy. And it's helpful to understand the context of what's happening here. If you were to go to 50 A.D., 50 A.D., so 20 years or so after the death and resurrection of Christ, Paul's on a missionary journey, second missionary journey, and he lands in this city in Greece called Corinth, very uh, a port city, very metropolitan. We've talked about it, and we'll return to our study in 1 Corinthians in, in next week. But in 50 A.D., Paul founded the first church of Corinth, and he's also happens to be at the midpoint of his ministry. He's at the midpoint of his race with Jesus towards heaven. And at this midpoint, he takes a moment here in 1 Corinthians to turn around and just sort of examine the, the other runners who have run running the race with him. And he, he has this need to exhort the runners on. Just as he's running his race, he's trying to exhort the runners on. And so he says in 1 Corinthians twenty nine twenty four, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? And then he says... Run in such a way. Run in such a way. It's, it, you just get the feeling he's looking around and he sees some people who are starting to slow down. So, some people who took off maybe like a, a rocket because they, they just couldn't wait to know more about Jesus. But somewhere along the way, maybe at their midpoint, they just started slowing down. Or maybe he looked around and saw some people who were stopping altogether. Or maybe you saw some people exiting the race and just getting on another road. So I, I want you to hear Paul's sense of urgency. He's at the midpoint. He's looking around and he's saying, come on, guys, let's, let's keep running this race. I'm pressing on. I want you to continue to press on with me. Don't, don't give up. And what I find fascinating and what I want to take time to examine this morning is we also have words from Paul at the very end of his race. 1 Corinthians 9 is the midpoint of his race. 
But 2 Timothy 4, he's just about ready to cross the finish line. And I'm asking myself, what does he say there? I heard what he said at the midpoint, but now he's just about ready to break the tape. He, he's run for all that he's worth. And right before he reaches his finish line, he turns around again and has these exhortations. It's 15 years later, so it's about 65 A.D. Paul is in, a, in Rome in a cold, dark, wet cell. And he's just a few days from being beheaded. And so he kind of scribbles out one last letter. This is 2 Timothy, a very short letter to his friend and his disciple, Timothy. And, and his whole letter is really the last words before he crosses, crosses the finish line. And you see in chapter 4, verse 6, he has this very tender kind of emotional phrase, the time for my departure has come. And the word departure there, Timothy would know and the readers would know, it's, it's the same word that's used to loosen the ropes on a ship that's ready to set sail. See, Paul's, Paul feels the, the tug of eternal shores. And the ropes that have tied him to this world, he can tell they're already starting to, to crack. They're, they're already starting to get the ropes away. And he's beginning to pull away from this shore and make a, make a trip to another shore. And so he knows the time of his departure has come. So like a good pastor, he's taking a few moments, just like he did at the midpoint to encourage. He's taking a few moments right before he finishes the, the race to look back and to encourage those people in the race. And I believe Paul at this point, he sees four different people that I want us to examine this morning. First, he sees himself. See, I, I'm, I'm about ready to finish the race. I've kept the faith. I'm looking at just at myself and seeing where I am as a, as a Christian, as a believer. And then he sees Demas, chapter 4, verse 10, who has dropped out of the race. And then he, says, he sees a group called the people. And these are people who think they're still in the race, but they're not in the race. They think they're still running this race, but Paul looks at him and says, you're not in the race. And then he looks at his faithful disciple, Timothy. And so as we look at these four different people, my hope is that you would look at yourself. Just as we look at what's happening in the lives of these people, you would pick up different themes that you would want to think about for yourself as you examine and assess the condition of your own soul. So let's start with Paul. Paul must have liked sports. He must have liked athletics because so many of his illustrations come from athletics. And certainly Corinth is a place there's a lot of athletics. And so he says in verse 7 here in chapter 4 that the Christian life, it's like a fight or it's like a race. It's like a fight. It's like a race. And Paul understands this fight has an internal component and an external component. He's well aware of this fight, and he's trying to help his people say, I understand the fight. I, I felt this fight myself. The internal component, Romans chapter 7, Paul says, I find this law at work within me. You know what it is. When I want to do good, what do I find? Evil 
It's right there with me. I find it. And everybody here is going, yes, I feel that same way. He feels that internal struggle. That it's a fight for faith all the way. And in Romans chapter 8, he says, by the Spirit, you're supposed to put to death the misdeeds of the body. These things that are internally weighing this, the way your mind operates, the, the hungers you have that come from the world that you want to chase after. He knows that when you want to do good, they're still pulling at your heart. And you've got to put those things to death by the Spirit. So he understands this fight for faith has an inter, internal component, and he knows it has an external component. There are people externally that would want to discourage him to get off this road. Imagine that this would be your biography, 2 Corinthians 11. Paul says, five times I've received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. So this is 40 lashes like Jesus received. And it's thought to 40 would kill you, so they just do 39. So he received that five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in open sea. I've been in danger from bandits, danger from my own countrymen, danger from the Gentiles. These are the people I'm trying to minister to. I have had danger in the city or the country. I have danger at the sea, danger from false brothers. I've labored. I've gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst. And I've often gone without food, and I've been cold and naked. So Paul understands this fight, it's an external fight. It's not just a fight for faith in your soul. He understands there's going to be external pressures coming at you to say, Let's go a different direction. Move in a different way. So when he looks at himself and he's trying to telegraph to Timothy, he says, I fought the good fight. And he's trying to tell Timothy, and he's trying to tell me, and he's trying to tell you, it's a fight all the way to the finish line. And there may be somebody here that thinks, I thought the fight was just the first year in. It's like a parent who thinks, as soon as my kid goes to college, I'm done. Hey, I hate to tell you, it doesn't work that way. You, you might have more anxiety and stress over them after they leave your house than when you're in your house. Now, some of you are pulling your hair out like, please. But do you see what Paul's trying to say? I'm at the finish line, and I'm still fighting a fight. I still have these things that are difficult for me. So when, when you say, I'm going to follow after Jesus, it's going to be a fight all the way to the end. Now, praise God, there are seasons of peace. But it just seems like the seasons are shorter of peace than the seasons of fighting. So he's trying to help us. And he's trying to say, if you've been beaten with rods or beaten with words from a skeptical professor, keep fighting. Keep the faith. If your prayerful plans for your life have ended up shipwrecked, keep fighting. Keep faithful. If you get pushback, if you get pushback from somebody in your family or somebody that you work with or somebody that's even inside the church, keep fighting, keep faithful. If you experience life at some season that's so stressful that you don't, you can't even sleep, 
Keep fighting. Keep faithful. That's what he's trying to say. Now, you just turn to your neighbor here and just say, keep fighting and keep faithful. Keep fighting and keep faithful. You see what he's saying? Now, none of us have gone through 2 Corinthians. None of us have that biography. But if you're out at a campus or you have somebody that's in your household who's hostile or you have some sort of internal struggle, at that moment, your faith feels like it's on the line. And he's here at the finish line just doing all he can as a good pastor to say, keep fighting, keep faithful. It's a good fight. And keep fighting all the way to the end. Now, I just want to notice before we move to Demas, two things that Paul has to have all the way to the finish line. Because these are the things you're going to need all the way to the finish line, and you're certainly going to need them all the way until you get to the finish line, not just at the finish line. Look at verse 9 in chapter 4. Do your best to come to me soon. So here's Paul. He's in a prison. His best friend Timothy is somewhere else. He's receiving this letter. He's probably in Ephesus. And Paul's just crying out, can you come to me? Because verse 16, at my first defense, see, I'm on trial in Rome. And when I went for my first defense, I'm the leading missionary of the church. I planted all these churches. I've written all this scripture. And when I stood up for my defense, not one person stood next to me. So Timothy, you're like the last guy. Can you come and just stand with me? I mean, I'm having trouble getting to the finish line. And I'm going to need somebody who can help me all the way there. So this is Paul Phoning in a friend. I need somebody to help me get all the way to the finish line. Now, if the Apostle Paul needed that, how much more for you and I? Several years ago, I was in a difficult season here at the church. And after a sermon, I went back to my office and I had a note. Somebody had written me a note. And it said, chapter 2, chapter 4, verse 5, Paul, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. Now, that was encouraging, right? They know I'm struggling. They know it's hard. So they just pull out a piece of scripture and say, hey, it was hard for The Apostle Paul, he knew it was going to be hard for Timothy. Paul, let's not be surprised that it's a fight all the way, because you'd think I would know this since I'm preaching about it. But I need to be, I need to be reminded it is, it's going to be a fight. And as encouraging as those words were, they weren't as encouraging as the little tag they put afterwards. And I'm standing with you all the way. Ooh. I mean, The scripture was powerful, but tears came to my eyes at that last piece. Because I'm going to need somebody with me all the way. I'm not going to somehow get mature enough to say, I don't need somebody to help me across the finish line. The thing that he wants Timothy to do besides just come and stand with him, verse 4, would you bring the books, would you bring the parchments? And most people think that's a reference to Old Testament scriptures. 
So what does Paul need all the way to the finish line? The word of God and the people of God. The word of God and the people of God. So you just want to examine you right now. How am I going to get, am I going to, get to the finish line? How am I going to get there? For sure, you're going to need more than this, but for sure you're always going to need the people of God and the word of God. So I want you to get to the finish line. I want to get to the finish line. How are you doing in those areas? You have people. They don't have to be the smartest people in the world. They just have people who would be staying right next to you and say, we're going to keep going in this direction. And they tell you about the word of God as they do that. So Paul, second person here. Demas, verse 10. For Demas... In love with this present world has deserted, deserted me. This is such a sad little statement. We don't know too much about Demas. What we do know is he was in the inner circle. He's in the circle with Paul and Luke and other people. So I'm, I'm just trying to imagine this. You're in the circle of people who wrote most of the New Testament, Right? Paul and Luke. Luke wrote Luke and Acts. That's the most of the New Testament. And Paul basically wrote the rest of it. You're in, you're on the inside. You have a great small group. I'd love to have been in that small group. Yeah, well, we got Luke and Paul and then me. What an awesome small group. And he gets to see awesome things. This is not somebody who's not unaware of how the Holy Spirit could, could, to move people. And so we're not talking about some some ember who's gotten disconnected to the flame. We're talking about somebody who's in the flame, who's really on the front edge with these two giants along with other people. And somehow something caused him to drop out of the race. And all we know is some shiny object of the world caught his imagination, caught his attention. And I'm guessing it didn't happen all at once. Maybe he felt persecution coming on. So, uh uh-oh, I've been involved in some of these beatings, and I'm just, you know, I'm done. I don't want this anymore. Maybe that caused him to sort of look outside. Maybe there was some hunger in his soul he just couldn't somehow get away from, whether it was popularity or sex or money or comfort. I mean, we don't know. But something about the world told his soul, it's better over here. It's better over here. Look how wide this road is you could be on. Why, why go down that, that little narrow path that feels, feels uphill most of the way? And so something caught Demas' attention. Somewhere like a marathon runner, he hit this wall and he he drops out of the race. C.J. Mahaney says this, few, if any, are facing the threat of martyrdom like Demas might have faced. But everyone in our culture is facing the threat of seduction. The, The reason seduction is so powerful is its punch it's so soft. You just don't feel it. You don't see it coming. And just knocks you out of the way, out of the race. The, the soft knockout blow of seduction can just begin by staring at your Pinterest page over and over again. 
And you think, well, there's no harm in that. Somewhere along the way, you cross a line, and those little glittery objects that you think are life knock you out of the race. You can do the same thing with your 401K. You just look at the bottom line, and that line defines, that number defines. You've seen the commercial with the people walking around with numbers. That's, that's our whole definition. I'm this number. And that just knocks you out of the way. So you don't even feel it. It's not like a spear in your back. This is just, you're just moving out of the race. That seduction is permanently attached to your mouse on your computer. So you're just one click away when nobody else is around to seduction. Oh, nobody's going to know. It's not hurting anybody. And suddenly you're out of the race. Seduction is the primary concern for every parent who sends their kids off to college. Right, parents? You're not thinking on the first day they're going to get knocked out of the race, but just over time. And how many stories do you have? I came in as a Christian, as a freshman, but by the time I graduated, I was out of the race. That, that's, that's, that's where we are. And if we were honest with ourselves you would see how likely you could be Demas. That somehow some seduction has come in and you're not even in the race anymore. You have some other vision of what the good life is and you're, you're chasing after that. And so maybe there are people here who are not yet Demas, but you feel it. You just feel the, the seduction and the suction of the world. And you know if something doesn't happen in the next month or this year, you're going to be out of the race. And I just couldn't encourage you more to find somebody who will stand with you who's not going to move. And it's just going to say, this is the way. We're going this way. You cannot fight that battle all by yourself. And that's what Paul is doing. He's saying, hey, I need people all the way. You're going to need people all the way. And Demas... Get your eyes off of the world, this false narrative, this, this false idea of the good life. And go this way. You're going to need that. So maybe you need to talk to somebody after this service is over and just say, I'm the person that in a year I'm going to be Demas. Can you help me? Then there's this group called the people. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For the people, you see that verse 2, he's going to describe them. They're going to be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And then notice verse 5. They're going to have an appearance of godliness. See, if that didn't come, if that wasn't there, you'd say, oh, man, you're going to spot these people a long way away. But now he's saying, see, this, the word appearance is where we get um, the metamorphosis. So these people are going to be like shapeshifters. When they come into the church, they're going to be able to just shape right in. And when you see them at church, you think, man, they, they sing the songs louder than I do. They got some highlights in their Bible I don't have in my Bible. They seem to have a good prayer life. I mean, they, they can do it all, but inside they've got this rottenness in their soul. 
And they look like they're in the race, but Paul's saying these people, they're not in the race. Because they don't really love God, they really love themselves. And you can come to church and use church to glorify yourself. You could come to a pulpit and preach every Sunday to glorify yourself. And what's difficult about this is these people think they're still in the race. That's what one of the hard parts about it. He says this in uh, chapter 4, verse 3. Again, referring to the people. For the time is coming when the people will not endure sound teaching. Instead, they want to have their itching ears uh, scratched. So they're going to accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions They'll turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. It's an amazing, amazing little observation by Paul. Notice, the people are going to come to church. They are going to come. But they're going to decide, first, what do I want to hear? And then I'm going to find a church that gives me what I'd like to hear. Well, I'd really like that, too. I have a lot of things I'd like to be true, and somebody tell me that. And so these people are going to come into the church, and there's going to be enough of them in the church that they say, let's hire the person who's going to tell us what we want to hear. And that happens all over the world. One of the worst examples of it is the prosperity gospel. It's really a foundational flaw in it. The people have decided God must want me to be healthy and wealthy. So they pay people and buy their books to tell them what they want to hear. And so I've noticed just as you watch Channel 43 or wherever it is on your television, that the suffering and sacrifice gospel doesn't get a lot of airtime. I mean, who's interested in that? I just wonder... If you're preaching first, uh, Second Corinthians with Paul's biography, how does that work out for you? How do you know if you're part of the people? So I'm not asking you to examine somebody near you, because that might be easy, but how would you know? Here are some diagnostic questions. Are you humble? Or most of the time, you need to be right. If most of the time you need to be right, you're moving towards the people. And you wouldn't want to ask yourself. You would want to ask your spouse or your friend. Because I'm always going to give myself a good break. Paul, I don't, nah, you're not like that. Why? Because I'm mostly right. When was the last time the Word of God really adjusted your thinking and behavior? Like you really thought this was true, but somehow you read the Word of God and you go, you know what, that's not true. And I've got to think a different way or act a different way. If the Word of God never really adjusts your thinking or behavior, you might be moving towards the people group. 
when this is the third and last question here. When things don't go your way, do you blame God? If so, you might be moving towards the people group. I've got a form, but inside I'm really, I'm really moving away from the Lord. Paul doesn't want Timothy to fall into this group. So verse 6, he has this reoccurring phrase, but as for you, but as for you. He says this four or five times throughout the letter. He talks about a situation and he comes back to Timothy, the main recipient of the letter. And he says, okay, but as for you, Timothy... You get this feeling, he's like, Timothy, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get across the finish line, and I'm desperate for you to get across the finish line too. So as for you, Timothy, I want you to remain faithful. I want you to hang on to your faith. I want you to remain in the race. I don't want you to slow down. I don't want you to stop. I don't want you to get off like Demas has. And so I just want to list a few things. I'm just gonna mention the verses and make a statement, and we'll close here as we Think about Timothy. This is the person we want to be like Paul. We want to get to the finish right, right, finish line. But most of us are Timothy. We've got, got some distance to go. And just these are the th- some of the things. There's many more I could mention that Paul encourages Timothy with. And we can learn from chapter 1, verse 5. He basically says, Timothy, hang on to your faith that was displayed in your mother and grandmother. So just think, parents and grandparents, how powerful your faithfulness is for your kids, even after you're dead. Your hand can reach out of the grave and continue to pull your son or your grandson along the race of faith. If you would just display that today for them, it's very powerful. And now here I am, I've got a grandson, and I'm going to be done with my race long before he's done with his. But however many days I'm going to be saying, let's go this way. And how many times I can show him this is the right way. So when he gets to be 54, he can feel that pull that his grandfather was saying, I'm going to be at the finish line. Daniel, I want you to be at the finish line too. Parents, you have such a powerful witness. Grandparents, you have such a powerful witness on your children. That's, how you, that's one way you get to the finish line, is you have people building that into you all along the way. Chapter 1, verse 13. Follow the pattern of sound words you have heard from me. So Timothy had a pattern just didn't have a parent. He also had a pattern. He had some guy who was kind of like him. And here's the way you would do it. And I'm just wondering if, if you have somebody like that or you need to be somebody like that for somebody else to get them to the finish line. Chapter 2, verse 22. Flee from youthful passions and pursue righteousness. There's, there's stuff if you're going to get to the finish line you're going to have to run away from. You're just going to have to run away. You can't negotiate with it. Chapter 3, verse 16. Timothy, completely entrust yourself to the word of God because it's breathed out by God. And it's profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So hold on to your faith by holding on to the word of God. Chapter 4, verse 5. 
Timothy, keep your head in all situations and endure suffering, Timothy, all the way to the end. Maybe one last reminder Paul gives to Timothy. Chapter 1, verse 9. Timothy, you were saved by a holy calling. Timothy, remember, you weren't saved by your works. That's such good news. See, if you don't end there, it feels a lot like there's all these things I got to do, and I'm not trying to say there aren't things you got to do, but he's really trying to say, Timothy, we got to remember the gospel. That God has done all the work to get you to the finish line. He's the one who got across the finish line and defeated death itself so that when you know it's time for your departure to come, you just don't go into the ground. You actually set sail for a distant shore. And Timothy, when all else fails, I want you to remember the gospel. That's really not about your works. So don't get too puffed up and don't get too low. Keep your head and trust in the gospel. So where are you? We've done this series, a little series on spiritual disciplines, trying to take inventory for yourself. And here at this last part, Paul, what, do you, what, what did you need to hear about Paul? Some of you here are old enough that you're getting close to the finish line. You have the word of God. You have the people of God. Can you feel the tug of the world and say, yeah, I might be taking the exit ramp right now and I need somebody to help me get back on the road have you fooled yourself you have the form but you really don't have the substance and you're not really on the road or did you need to hear these exhortations for Paul and his to his friend Timothy I'm pleading with you as pastor Paul Keep the faith. Keep fighting all the way to the end. Because it's worth it. Let's pray together. Lord, I mean, every soul here is in a race. And I couldn't possibly identify where they are. Maybe they don't even know where they are themselves. But may this be the the moment with the Holy Spirit to wrestle some things down and, and you give us clarity in our own condition. And help us. Help us if we need to reach out for help to, to have courage to do that. Help us to find somebody, me or somebody else. Help us to, to see where we are clearly and, and, and to hold on, to, to allow Paul to speak to us this morning to to hear his words as he crossed the finish line, to, to keep the faith, to fight the good fight. Would you strengthen your saints today, I pray in Jesus' name.